If you are enjoying this podcast, why not try Baker Street 2033 by the same author, a metaphysical mystery involving Sherlock Holmes, virtual reality, and fictional objects. Available on Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Music. I left a note at the dead drop of what was happening and where I was heading and booked a flight to Norway for the end of the week. I needed winter clothes, so I went shopping for thermals, boots and such. I paid up with the landlady who was barely giving me the time of day now, packed up my suitcase and made for the airport in London. Three days later, I was in the small village of Skjolden, which overlooked a copper green fjord and was figuring out my next move. I hit the old bar in the village on my arrival. As I sat there smoking and drinking the local fire water, a kind of schnapps called Akavid, I struck up a conversation with an old salt who called himself Leif. He knew all about the mad Austrian. I'd often sold him coffee and other goods. He took me outside and pointed across the fjord, directly opposite to where we stood. You are see smokings? Yeah. He's up there. In little Austria. How long on foot? He slapped his thigh and hooted. I took it to be a laugh. Too long. I roll you for packet of American cigarettes. What Mexican do? Deal. We cleaned glasses of Akavit. It had only taken half a bottle to start tasting nice. Leaf asked me where I was staying. I said I'd probably sleep where I fell. He laughed. He offered me a bed. I tried milking him for the skinny on Godwit, but he knew even less than me. He could tell me what coffee he drank, what bread he ate, but nothing more. We all thinking he is mad. It was a common theme. Why? Building hut in mountains. There is reason we all living down here. But he work hard. You will see... Impressive hut, he building it. We help with stone, but he builded it. We admire our mad Austrian for this. We set out early the next morning. My head thumped from the night before. It was minus stupid outside, but the cold had a dry quality to it. My bones didn't ache like they had done in England. I spotted Leaf packing up an open two-man kayak. Along with the paddles and a rucksack, he put something else in the hold. Despite the case, I recognized what it was instantly. I hope you're not planning on using that on me. I nodded towards the item. Nay, reindeer and bear. We set off with both of us paddling. I felt like a phony Hiawatha, but a few sups on Lee's bottle of Akavit, and I got into the swing of it. A little ways into the journey, Leaf piped up. It is a funny... You are not being the first man to asking me of the mad Austrian. Oh, two more asking, but I send them in bad direction. 
Why? Bad accent. He spat in the lake to underline his distaste. German. Nazis. My mind was racing. So I had company on this crazy fox hunt, huh? Could it be the client? Had I really been working for Nazis this whole time? They'd mentioned unimaginable wealth, but plenty of people had money after the war. Still, I was suddenly sitting a lot less comfortably in that kayak. I was packing heat of my own, but I figured the rifle would be more useful out here. I took my binoculars out of my pack and scoped the lake and hillsides. Nothing doing save ice and mist. We were about halfway across when the shot rang out. Instinct made me duck for cover. I caught out to Leaf to get down, but he just sat there, his head leaning on his chest. His paddle dropped into the water. I screwed up my eyes for another look. There was blood bubbling out the side of his head. The bullet had gone in sideways through his skull. I yelled out, Bastard! Then changed it to, Bastards! I doubted it was Godwit. It had to be the Nazi scum. But why Leaf? What had he ever d- It hit me like a sock in the guts from a gorilla. Of course. A moving target is harder to hit. I'd let them straight to Godwit. All alone in his hut out here, he was an easy target. They had no further use for me. I was expendable now. I reached for the rifle, unzipped the leather case, keeping my head down. The mist came as a friend now, not an enemy. Once I'd got it out, I propped the barrel on the side of the kayak and waited. I spotted another boat about half a click out. Two figures in light grey fatigues came into view through the sight. Clever. Both wore peak caps. Both had rifles resting in their laps and binoculars raised. I let the boat drift, held my breath, and watched as one of them aligned with the crosshairs. I was too slow. Then the next. I fired before his head was centered on the crosshair. The bullet knocked him into a watery grave. His friend was torn between helping him clearly pointless, and returning fire. He went for the ladder. I dug down further and hoped the rolling banks of mist would cover me. A shot whizzed over the kayak. Then a second. Finally, whoever it was got wise to the fact they was wasting lead they might need later. I let the tide take the boat on towards the pine-studded mountain where the hut was. The boat eventually ran aground on a pebble-strewn shore. Leaving the kayak with leaf in it banked up on the pebbles, I took the dead man's rucksack and started a hike up through the snowy pines to where he told me Godwit's hut was. It was tough going. All those gaspers and horseshit cigarettes hadn't done my limited climbing skills any favours. On top of that, the snow was knee-deep in places. So I was almost glad when the sun came out and burned off the mist. Until I remembered, if it was helping me, then it was also helping my German fan club. He might make a beeline for Godwit. He might bum me off first. I say he, he could just as easily have been the dame on the phone. With that peaked cap pulled down low, it was impossible to tell. I ducked and weeped between pines as best I could. It was like I could feel death's eyes on me, biding his time, prolonging the exquisite moment before release. For him. For me. Death was a poet. I knew that better than most. He sometimes outsourced his labor to me. I saw the hut in front of me. I understood why Leif had called it Little Austria now. 
It was more like the kind of chalets they had in Aspen. A cabin. It even had a balcony. I could see smoke coming out the chimney. Someone was home. Perhaps it was Godwit. Perhaps the remaining Nazi. Or maybe death had got them both and was waiting there with an attorney of sweet nothings just for me. I crept up and peered through the windows. It was dark in there. Candlelight. I could see a fire burning. Something boiling on a stove. And, bent over the kitchen's table, there he was, scribbling away, oblivious to the dangers outside. Typical philosopher, head in the frickin' clouds. Endnotes The hut being described by Russell as the sort of place one keeps one garden utensils, i.e. a shed, was actually no such thing as the photo shows in the description below the podcast. Either this was what Wittgenstein imagined Russell perceived it to be, or it is a private joke. However, as the photo shows, the prospect of the house overlooking the fjord is accurately described in the story. As a friend, not an enemy, is a reworking of a diary entry from June 29th, 1948, written at Rosborough Cottage. Don't let grief vex you. You should let it into your heart, nor should you be afraid of madness. It comes to you perhaps as a friend and not as an enemy, and the only thing that is bad is your resistance. To my mind, this is as clinical a proof as any in the text that the work is Wittgenstein's, for it reveals not only his depressed state of mind that summer, but also how hard-boiled fiction could serve as both a confessional of and vehicle for his grief. The story becomes a private investigation into the self and the way his life was lived. Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir will return in Episode 8, I Knocked on the Door. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to consider others by the same writer and producer, such as Baker Street 2033 and Modern Gothic. All are available from the usual podcast outlets. You could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash Neil Fitzgerald.